0: From the Cairo Radio Newsroom in Seattle, I'm Dave Ross, and these are The Ross Files. The latest book about Donald Trump is called A Very Stable Genius, Donald Trump's Testing of America by Philip Rucker and Carol Lennig, who joins me now. We're going to be discussing this book tomorrow night at the Broadway Performance Hall, sponsored by Elliott Bay Books. And uh, my first question for you, Carol, is... This is another one of those books that takes us behind the scenes and we see Trump making what happened behind the scenes of some very famous instances in the Trump presidency. The, the sources that you had, you had 200 people talk to you. I'm not going to ask you to identify them, but were they all Trump enemies, all Trump friends? Who would share this kind of detail with you?
1: You know, that's one of the things that really took me and uh, Phil, my co-author, out at the knees, is that most of these people worked for Donald Trump, were senior advisors, confidants, friends. Um, I'm not going to identify them, but they told us they had great concerns. I'm not every single person, but they had great concerns about the way in which he was running the Oval Office, the way in which he was making decisions. I think what shocked us the most was how many people in that group, described uh, their fear about how he uh, would handle a real crisis. And that's why they agreed to talk to us.
0: Okay, so there's, these are not his enemies. This is not a bunch of uh, Democrat Trump haters.
1: No, most of the people work in his administration. And um, again, as his senior advisors, as people who work um, as political appointees, these are folks who, by and large, are
0: Republicans Why were they so surprised, given that, I mean, I've read most of the book now, and there's nothing in this book that he did not telegraph when he was running for president. So if these people who supported him and wanted to be president, why are they surprised that he'd be acting this way?
1: You know, it's such an interesting question, Dave. I think that a lot of people here believed that he was a novice. Of course, you could see that from his campaign. He was completely new to public service and completely new to governing, had very uh, limited experience in it, except for sort of greasing the wheels for getting his developments built. And uh, what they hoped... Was that as Republicans, as conservatives, they were going to be able to guide this novice, and they were going to be able to get things done for a conservative agenda, for their own personal resumes, they were, for their own goals and philosophies. And what they were surprised by was were two things really. One, the degree to which the president uh, refused to take information or advice. You know. No president really knows everything. They don't know the boundaries of every country in the world that they have to deal with. They don't know um a host of things, but they have a whole firmament of experts at their beck and call to give them advice. Here is everything you need to know, Mr. President, about Pakistan. You don't have to know everything. I'm here to help you. That's my job. But Donald Trump didn't like taking that advice. And number two... The other thing they were shocked by was the degree to which he made impulsive, rash, undisciplined decisions based on gut, based on, you know, what he viewed as winning the day, based on his view of how he could best polish his image on Fox News or in the mainstream media that day.
0: Right. And that's exactly that that appears to be who he is. Um, He doesn't read the briefing books. There are many scenes where that's the uh, that's the the bottom line of the whole incident that he went off without reading the briefing books and and created a mess. Uh, then he of course hires somebody without really vetting them, doesn't like them, fires them, hires somebody else and seems to have gotten closer to um, a group of people who will, will carry his wishes out. But for a, a while there he felt, because I think it was true, he was being stymied at every turn. He was, he was making decisions and people said, Mr. President, we can't carry that out. And he got tired of hearing that. Isn't that what you found?
1: Oh, totally. You hit the nail on the head. Um, in fact, what we describe is really uh, increasingly a presidency that's lurching towards a presidency of one and a presidency of chaos. The trajectory of this White House is one in which all of the grown ups have been driven out of the room by an abusive manager who doesn't like counsel or warnings or go slow advice, and he's increasingly surrounded by people who view their mission as telling him yes. I mean, really, we're in the middle of an impeachment trial. Phil and I never imagined we'd be publishing this book, A Portrait of the President, and he would be um, standing trial for impeachable offenses. We did not imagine that. However, everything in our reporting foreshadowed this moment, because what's happened? He took actions surrounded by folks who were trying to enable his wishes, deliver what he wanted. Rex Tillerson was gone. John Kelly was gone. You know, uh, Jim Mattis was gone. All of these people who had been saying, wait a minute, Mr. President, I don't know if this is a good idea. They're replaced by people like Chief of Staff Mick Mulvaney, who says, you know what? You want to block the aid to Ukraine? We can do that. Even though... Uh, you know, uh, the government accountability office said it was illegal.
0: Do you think that the Constitution could be trusted to work its magic with a president like this, or is this something the Constitution was not prepared for?
1: You know, it's interesting. So many people that we have talked to for the book ha- express a fear uh, akin to that, which is that the Constitution and our laws um, really expect or presume a certain amount of good faith on the part of the president. And, you know, every politician is going to try to continue and burnish their own star and stay in office. That's just going to be reality. But the laws and constitution, as, as these sources have told us, presumes that the person in office is going to put national security and national interests before their own personal success and that, again, is something these sources say to us over and over again. They feel that the president's personal success is always paramount in these decisions.
0: So he literally says anything that he wants to, as long as he thinks it'll make him look good. And the truth does not matter. The briefing books do not matter. The law does not matter. So you know, <laughs> what, yeah. what check is left on him then?
1: You know, there are people that we spoke to for this book who feel that by telling their stories in our book, even though they were afraid in some cases to tell these stories themselves, they were afraid of the power of the president's Twitter megaphone and retaliation. Um, They were afraid of the, the people that the president can enlist to bully others. They felt that by telling this history and getting it right and giving you an, an eyeball right in the room where it happened, that that was going to be educational and valuable to voters and decision makers about how to handle this president. I will also are, uh, you know offer that Phil and I felt strongly that you know we are not judges, we're not a jury. We're not deciding what the president is like. But we, through rigorous reporting, put you in those rooms so you, too, can, can make your own decision. Uh, at the end of the book, we have a piece where, you know, there were Republicans who were trying to make a decision about how to handle the actions and behavior that they saw on the part of President Nixon. And history will judge them. That is what they said over and over again. History is going to judge me based on how I handle this. And there are people we interviewed who feel that they will be judged based on how they handled this moment.
0: But it seems like there are many more who are really worried about what Donald Trump could do to them. Can you explain that? The CBS had this report earlier this week that um, a Trump confidant said that Trump personally threatened to uh, put your head on a pike, I think was the phrase used, if anybody voted against him in the Senate. What does that mean in practice? What kind of power does this president hold over people who go up against him?
1: Well, keep in mind, Dave, you know, Lyndon Johnson was a famous, and Nixon before him too, I'm sorry, after him, they were famous for their um, <laughs> vituperative remarks about how they were going to go after their enemies and the way they were going to make them pay. And It's not unique to a president to say, these people better be loyal to me. They better be on my side. But the difference really with President Trump is he's not saying, hey, they better be on my side on this national security issue. They better be on my side on this surveillance law. They better be on my side on uh, trade policy. He is saying they better be on my side to cover me in this moment. And the other huge difference is... Lyndon Johnson and Richard Nixon didn't have Twitter. The president has millions of followers um, who are ready, willing, and able to, you know, take up the cause on his behalf. And if you see that ricochet war happening on Twitter, you you can see the president's power in action.
0: And what keeps the followers loyal? Has he brought back the—we were, we were told the part of this was um, uh, the coal industry, manufacturing jobs— My understanding is the coal industry is still on the decline, that manufacturing jobs, some have come back, but it is by no means, uh, we're not reverting back to the heyday of the 50s, and farmers uh, continue to hurt. So what's in it for his supporters?
1: This has been fascinating to us as well in our reporting. The president says he's going to do a lot of things for people, for the forgotten folks who around America rally to his defense and uh, shout and holler and cheer at his rallies about how wonderful he is as a president. He says he was going to do a lot of things for them. The policies haven't really uh, rolled in to benefit them yet. However, here's this intangible that they feel, and they feel it deeply. If you go to a President Trump rally, what you're going to find are scads of people telling you he's a fighter. He says it like he he sees it. We need more people like this who aren't politically correct, who call a ball a ball and a strike a strike, who don't use any polite language. And who fight for me he people adore the fact that he was uh, you know brandishing all these harsh words for China over their trade imbalance and Here, in this instance the the tariffs that the president was was threatening were actually hiking up the prices of things everybody needs washers and dryers but But his supporters his his folks who believe that he 's their champion are just glad that he 's fighting and talking tough. Um, they they say that no one's ever done that for them. That many other Democrats, Hillary Clinton among them, mostly spent their time, you know, speaking to Goldman Sachs and bankers and investment fund folks, and and didn't think about these folks in Ohio and Iowa and you know Wisconsin. Didn't didn't come and worry about them.
0: Well, yeah, okay. You're making the argument that they they see him as authentic, but now we have that tape from the donor meeting at his uh, at his hotel where he's. You know, talking deep state stuff like uh, everybody else, cow to lobbyists. And there's a scene in your book where um, Anthony Scaramucci, the short-lived communications director, uh, apparently uh, Trump calls him up. They have a little talk, and Scaramucci asks Trump, are you an act? And Trump replies, <laughs> I'm a total act. And I don't understand why people don't get it. So, <laughs> so th- yeah, this, this appears to be Trump saying, I've, I've tricked them all into thinking I am authentic and I'm just a big act. Now, is that the truth or not?
1: Well, there's no question about it that the president is an amazing marketer, and let's give him credit for at least the way he's able to connect with voters and convince them that he's on their side, whether in some instances he is or he isn't. Uh, Anthony Scaramucci's exchange with him about the act is very revealing because the president acknowledges that, yeah, I'm just BSing these people. There are a lot of politicians that BS folks. I I also would remark that Scaramucci, who famously was only uh, press secretary for a few days, uh, called out our book, A Very Stable Genius, recently on Twitter after some of the excerpts were published and and basically said to the president, how does it feel to know that all the people around you do not consider you stable or a genius?
0: (laughs) Well, yeah, he's talked about this resistance. Is it still there?
1: You know, the president often calls this out, this resistance, this deep state within uh, the bureaucracy. He views it as a bunch of what he calls Obama holdovers. But I think what he fails to remember is that most of these people have served president after president, regardless of party. And what they really care about is the rules they're used to, the rules of the road, the norms. Take the Department of Justice. The Department of Justice views itself as pristine. We enforce the laws. We prosecute people without fear or favor. We don't choose who we're going to go after based on their party or their persuasion. And Donald Trump uh, is not a fan of that. In our book, there's a scene where he basically is screaming at his television and at, at his chief of staff saying, in a couple of different expl- expletives, this is my effing Justice Department. It's the Trump Justice Department. Why can't these people do what's good for me? And that is anathema to the Justice Department of America, which is supposed to be uh, blind justice, you know, not making decisions based on politics. But that's not the way Trump views it. So it, it isn't like there are a bunch of Democrats stowed away in government fighting against Trump. It's that they're upholding the laws and traditions and the principles of the country. And that, that goes against the way Trump thinks the government should operate, which is in, in his behest, in his interest. Another element of that is, you know, the president is always feeling that these these unknown deep staters are stopping him. What's funny is a lot of his Republican senior advisors that he personally handpicked were the ones that were trying to stop him because they thought his ideas were reckless and that they would put America in danger.
0: Isn't he doing what conservatives have always wanted, and that is run the country like a business? He's running it like his business, isn't he?
1: Yes, except this isn't a business it 's not a for profit It has larger goals than making money or efficiency and you know most most people in America understand that, and especially sort of the career uh employees of the government it is it is yes, you could argue there's bloat in our government there it, it could be made uh less expensive. We could cut costs. We could reduce waste. No question about that. But it is not the purpose of a, a government is not a business's purpose. And if it if it were, there'd be all sorts of disadvantaged people who'd be in a lot of trouble because we wouldn't be taking care of them. We wouldn't be worrying about them at all.
0: Has he changed the type of person who seeks office I'm going down and a lot of people have looked at the Democratic debates and they're asking themselves, I mean, OK, some of these people are pretty impressive, but up against Trump, he would he would steamroll with them and may, maybe maybe not Bloomberg, because Bloomberg can always say, hey, I'm about five times as rich as you. I, I guess maybe more than that, actually. <laughs> and, and that seems to be, you know, that seems to count for something with Trump. But the rest of them, I mean, do you think they have a chance? I'm a
1: journalist who who writes
0: about Donald Trump
1: and tries to bring you the facts about that individual. I'm not a political horse race uh, reporter. I will say that uh, there are good reasons to be concerned about going up against an incumbent president always, but there are extra concerns about going up against Donald Trump for all the reasons you've asked me about. He's a master. I remember this one scene that we reported out in the book when Donald McGahn, who eventually became White House counsel, but at the time was just a campaign lawyer looking at candidates, trying to figure out which Republican he was going to work for and eyeing the race in uh, 2015, he saw Donald Trump was invited by one of his conservative friends to go see Trump in action. And he, wasn't, he didn't have very high hopes. But he said, when not he said, but many people around him said that when he saw Donald Trump on the stump, literally speaking, he saw every eye turn to him. The room was electrified by him. Voters who had never thought about really getting excited about a presidential race were glued to the man in front of them. And that's the connection he has. And And he ha- continues to have success with that. If you go to any rally today, you'll see a group of people jumping up and down, waiting in lines for hours just to get into the stadium to see him. Uh, he commands attention, and he's convinced supporters he's their guy.
0: Yeah, I've been to several Trump rallies, and there's nothing on the Democratic side right now like it. The only thing similar was what uh, Obama was able to do in uh, in in 2008. And so, uh, all right, I'll, I'll respect the boundaries and not ask you to speculate on uh, who the <laughs> Democrats uh, should put up. Do you come away, though, with a feeling that there is a real danger to the country here? And is impeachment the appropriate way to address that?
1: Again, you know... We're reporters, but I'll I'll say this much: I can tell you what we learned in our reporting, which is that many of these folks who started with Trump and who continue to serve him today have great anxiety about the way in which he makes decisions, which is slipshod and undisciplined and impulsive. Again, mostly self-oriented; everything must must benefit him in order for it to be a priority. Those folks told us in a way that shocked me, this man is a danger, clear and present danger. They were thinking not so much this moment. They were thinking more in terms of if we really have something serious to deal with. And we've had a couple of serious moments that drove other senior administration officials for the door. I'm thinking of Jim Mattis and his departure. He couldn't take it anymore when the president, on a whim, on a phone call with the president of Turkey, decided, hey, Turkey wants us out of Syria, so we'll just leave even though we're holding ISIS back. To Jim Mattis, that was that was a bridge too far because we were leaving allies on the battlefield likely to be slaughtered, in his view at the time. And we were giving up uh, our advantage in keeping ISIS at bay. It's part of what he believed kept America safe and able to sleep at night. Um, and and people around uh, Mattis, aides to him, aides to Tillerson, aides to John Kelly, a lot of them said that they were watching this with, with great fear because they wondered, when would there be a decision where we were really in immediate danger, and how would Donald Trump handle that?
0: Wouldn't they, if he were to give an order that, all of his lieutenants knew would be somehow damaging to America. Would they carry it
1: out? You'll have to You'll have to ask them. Mm. There were a lot of people who resisted Donald Trump along the way, and most of them are gone now.
0: Kara Lenig, who, with Philip Rucker, co-authored a very stable genius, Donald J. Trump's testing of America. She's going to be at uh, the Broadway Performance Hall Wednesday, 7 o'clock, and I'll be uh, in conversation with them sponsored by Elliott Bay Books. Carol, thank you very much. Appreciate it.
1: Thank you, Dave. I'll look forward to seeing you soon.
0: Remember that when there's a longer version of the interviews on Seattle's Morning News, you can usually find it right here in the original form, unconstrained by the limitations of a live broadcast. And you can subscribe so that when someone says, did you hear what was on Seattle's Morning News, you can say, not only that, I heard the part that wasn't on Seattle's Morning News. So my advice is to subscribe, and then when we talk to an author, a politician, an entrepreneur, an artist, a scientist, a teacher, a journalist, a celebrity, you'll hear every word. I'm Dave Ross. Thanks for tuning in.